2: I'm Imri, the host of the Wannabe Podcast, the podcast that takes you from where you are now to where you want to be in 30 minutes or less. Thank you so much for joining me again today. I'm so excited to have you here listening to me. This week, I am joined again by the young fashion designer, Chloe Marlowe. If you didn't hear her on Monday's episode, please do circle back and check that out. It was just so jam-packed with actions. Chloe is the founder and designer behind Marlowe London, a luxury accessories brand. Chloe attended Central St. Martins and a year later, she launched Marlow London. Her bags have been photographed on British singer Ray, presenter Maya Jammer, and blogger and designer Whitney Valverde. In today's episode, we talk about why it's important that you just start now and the value of gaining experience in different areas of the industry you want to work in. It's an amazing episode, so enjoy. Who did you want to be before you became who you are and why?
3: So when I was, I actually found a diary entry recently from when I was 14 years old. Oh wow. And it says when I grow up, I want to be a fashion designer. So I think I always knew I wanted to be in the world of fashion. Mm -hmm. I didn't quite know how I was going to get there, but I always knew I wanted to be somebody or something or have an impact in that industry.
2: In in, in fashion specifically? In fashion specifically, yeah. So then what did you do next? So you, you wanted to work in fashion and were you drawing a lot? Were you sketching? Like what was your, what Um, were you doing that kind of got you into that in the first place?
3: So I just doodled. I doodled on everything. My parents, Got quite frustrated. I was doodling on walls, on doodling. Oh my God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was like during the time of like renovation. We had like okay. they had like a wall that we could doodle on. Um, so I was like doodling on walls, doodling in notebooks. I had uh, teachers were getting very frustrated because every corner of every page was a doodle. So I was always drawing. Um, what were you drawing? Flowers and like oh. squiggles, and then it became did become dresses and, I guess prints, and that's kind of where I led on to later on. But um, yeah, just doodling and playing and coloring and um I did art at school after school art classes watercolor classes and I creative um and that led me to um pursuing a degree in textile design nice. at Central Saint Martins um so that's kind of how I began that creative path
2: nice what is textile design like what does that even involve
3: so it's more like surface surface design of products so it could be like we were doing knitting weaving print design like silk screen printing um it's very hands-on very technical but very like color focused and pattern focused so it's quite
2: expressive and quite fun why that if you were doodling and you you're like i want to be in fashion design then why 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 textile design is that yeah how does that relate
3: So um, I did a foundation before I did my degree and you actually get to experiment on every kind of aspect of fashion. So from Mm -hmm. styling to textiles to women's wear. And um, I did begin with the thought that I want fashion, fashion, fashion. I have to be a women's wear designer. Yeah. Um, But I actually found throughout the course that I was more focused on what was happening on the garment than what the actual garment was.
2: Interesting.
3: Yeah. And I kind of got advised that I was more suited for a textile degree than I would be
2: fashion interesting yeah that's quite fascinating actually um it's I remember when I did my degree I did anthropology right biological anthropology (laughs) specifically um but I wasn't I was on general track for anthropology and then yeah as we start kind of picking modules and things I actually just gravitated more towards the biological and medical side of things and you kind of don't really it's almost like a it's just something else guiding you did you ever feel like it was like your choice or you like or did it feel kind of existential like oh I'm just really intrigued by this thing I don't know I'm just gravitating there or did it feel like no I really want to do that
3: no I think I gravitated towards it because I thought I really wanted to be making clothes and I thought that's what I was having to be doing to get into fashion I didn't realize there's other aspects of the industry and of design so um, I definitely gravitated more towards textiles yeah, more than I realized actually.
2: Yeah. I, I think there's something to the pull of something else elsewhere. Cause I was definitely like medicine, medicine. And then I was like, that's too technical. And then I moved more towards the biological, which kind of is like a happy marriage of like monkeys and bones. And I was like, (laughs) yes, this is exactly what I want to (laughs) do. Yeah. I did that for a while and it was fun. Um, but I I do quite like the idea of that, a foundation course in a subject I right. don't know that a lot of people do that and I think they're incredibly valuable um one of my friends did a foundation course before she did anthropology and then found out she didn't want to do anthropology right, exactly, which was really yeah. useful to know and um my sister right now she's 17 and she really she's torn between fashion marketing and educational psychology I'm like these are two very different things um and she's having to apply to uni right now and I Would you recommend a foundation degree first for anything? And is it like just in general or do you have, is it mostly just fashion oriented?
3: I definitely recommend a foundation degree. I know for what I wanted to do in St. Martin's, you had to have a foundation. So I don't know if different courses differ. Um, and if there are foundations for different types of courses, but I definitely recommend doing like taster sessions. Yeah. I, def- I thought I was going to be doing at one point, my parents very much wanted me to do a real degree yeah. and go to a real university. Um, so I was looking at history of art and languages and yeah. I went to a taster day and honestly I was, I didn't know how I, I couldn't last one hour, let alone three years. <laughs> um, so that really like put it into perspective for me. So I definitely recommend yeah. getting a taste of the degree that you want to pursue. That's
2: a really good idea. Yeah. I should have told her that. I did not tell her that. I told her to take a gap year and figure it out. Um, but that's really cool. So real degrees yeah. versus fake degrees. Right. You went to Central Saint Martins, which is like mecca of fashion. Was that difficult? And what was it like whilst you're there? And how how much did it help and enhance your kind of creativity that led you to create the line that you now have?
3: Um, so it has, it has, essentially Martin has the name yeah. and it's just known to be very difficult to get into. So I kind of, I applied for the real degrees and I had St. Martin's as like the kind of the dream. I just kind of did as well. Like if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, and it happened and I don't think anyone kind of was expecting that to happen. And yeah. so I did my foundation, but I also deferred a place at um, actually Nottingham University just because after you do the foundation you've got to apply again so there's still no certainty that you'll get in for the degree yeah um but I completed the foundation and I loved it um and I really really wanted to get into the degree I didn't want to have to go to um lectures and essays yeah (laughs) Uh, and um I got on um and I worked so so hard in the in those four years I don't think I've ever worked so hard in my life and I still think that's the hardest I've ever worked because um, you've got to prove yourself everyone's yeah. so talented you're amongst the best of the best yeah um and they believe they're the best of the best as well so you're dealing with so many egos and um like very confident people that are very confident in their work and you really got to prove yourself constantly yeah so that was hard um but i loved it and i loved the creative freedom because you really um push to be as creative as possible yeah and as unique as possible um so it was very interesting people were crazy like you come in someone's <laughs> got blue hair one day purple the next um wow yeah the clothes everyone's personalities and attitudes um it was very cool It was like walking through have you seen fame yeah I mean, At the beginning of fame everyone was like walking through dancing so Yeah. Like the hallways you had such different types of people and there'd be um live exhibitions going on because we had a drama school at the back and they'd be doing oh, wow. like live performances every so often, jumping out. Um, it was crazy. It was so cool.
2: No, that sounds so much fun. Yeah, it was so boring. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like it was so boring. <laughs> but I was in the North and that was really boring as well. Right. Um, but no, that sounds really beautiful and like fun and vibrant. Yeah. I can imagine though, were there not ever occasions where you just felt like this is almost too much? Oh, completely. And then how do you then cope with that?
3: Right. So, um, yeah, definitely. Especially because there's a lot of pressure and there's time constraints and you can do so much in the time that you've got yeah. and it gets to you. And you know, everyone has their moment where they're in tears in the corner, but you have got to kind of put everything to put into perspective because sometimes it does get too much and you have to realise what's important, what your intention is and break it all down and work out how you're going to get there. Yeah. So um, I'm a list writer. So nice. I literally, I'm literally every, every like the beginning of every week I have, I'm um, like, I call it like the mother load list. It's, oh, wow. everything, yeah. <laughs> it's an epic list, it's pages long, oh my um, God. literally of everything that I just need to do in general. Yeah. And then I write another list, breaking down what I need to do that week. And then like a side, the psycho that I am, I write another list. Oh wow. <laughs> it's like a daily breakdown. And that really helps me kind of just focus on what I was doing. So I used to do that a lot at university. Um, and I used to find just talking to other people. Because you, so you think that everyone else has, like, has it together and they know what they're doing because yeah. they, they look like they do. But once you talk to them, you can all relate and you're all struggling. Yeah. And that really helps.
1: That's really good. Yeah. This is Nicole Hannah-Jones, creator of the 1619 Project from the New York Times magazine. The project makes a case that you don't often hear in history textbooks, that slavery was foundational to America. So it wasn't surprising that we ignited a fierce debate among historians about these issues. But that's the power of The New York Times, to spark an important dialogue with bold, rigorous reporting that forces us to examine our assumptions. To learn more, go to nytimes.com slash worth it.
2: I can't believe how many lists you write. Oh, oh I'm a, yeah. That it's is crazy. insane. That is insane. I'm getting anxiety <laughs> just from hearing about all of these lists. I think one of those things what I've learned from this podcast is like everyone has a very unique um, strategy or routine for getting themselves organized. I'm actually kind of a mental chaos person. So I kind of know what I need to do in different parts, but I just flow where my, like I go where my energy is flowing in that moment. So if I feel like websites where I need to be, that's what I'm going to do. It's probably not the best case (laughs) for prioritizing because then like loads of things get half done and not quite finished which is bad but I can't I can't focus in that way it's really strange so was that something you've always done like you've yes. always had lists throughout your whole life
3: yeah literally my mum my mum comes in my room she's like, oh another list apparently I've been doing it forever I can't help oh, it ouch. like my lists are ridiculous it's even like 8am <laughs> wake up brush teeth get dressed oh my god it's very specific do you just
2: use traditional pen to paper or are you on like tech? Oh no,
3: pen to paper. And I have like written diaries. It's always pen to paper. Oh, that sounds lovely. I love
2: I love a good notebook. <laughs> yeah, I and love I a love notebook. a diary. Yeah. I just like purchasing those things. I'd never use them. I'd like to keep them really pristine. I tried a bullet journal once. Okay. What's a bullet journal? Oh my god. Um, so a bullet journal is this really what's meant to be simple way of organizing your day, but you essentially have a plain notebook or like a grid notebook and you design like a key and there's like a traditional bullet journal key. So there's like a bullet point for something, a task that needs to get done. And then you have like an arrow through it if you didn't get through to that task. So it has to be deferred to the next day. Um, And then there's like a star for something that's really important. And an exclamation mark for something else as well. I don't really remember all the key points, but it's already, it already hurt my head. But in theory, I was like, no, this is cool. Because loads of people, if you like YouTube bullet journals, people have done like insane designs. Like they have like goal lists within their bullet journal and like their food shopping diaries. And people have created this entire world around the bullet journal. So like the key is just a small part it's just how you kind of organize and structure your life and i think it's definitely built for the creative and like, yeah. i like i feel like i'm a creative in my mind but not to hand so i did it for about two weeks and then i just couldn't because i like mine was just really ugly and like, <laughs> it was so much pressure and i just couldn't do it but definitely check it out you might yeah, like it i think it.
3: i might try bullet journal some people say yeah
2: this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving all of in june Help them be infinitely more productive. Really. So it could help match your doodling yeah. and your list making and put it into one place. Um, but yeah, being organized is a really key thing. So you now um are you've successfully manufactured some beautiful handbags, leather, vegetable tanned leather. Yes. We had to get it correct. Um bags, and you're still quite young, you're kind of like Smoothly just left uni and you're manufacturing. Would do you feel like this was the right time for you to do that? You spent a year, right? So, so
3: yes, yeah, so I'm I'm 24. So I graduated in 2015. So it's been two years since I graduated. One year since I launched. Yeah. Um, is it ever a right time? I don't know. Like a lot of people said to me, "Oh, you're too young. You need more experience." But ha- as in, you can know, only have so much experience, and you, otherwise, you keep getting experience to get experience. Yeah. Um, and I thought. I've been doing internships throughout university. I was apprenticing and I was freelancing. So I've been experiencing so many different sides of the industry already. And I just wanted to give it a go. Like, if not now, when?
2: Yeah. Was there like a specific moment or uh, event that just happened that you said, you know what, let me do it now. Like, I just feel like I just need to do that. Like, what was there something significant that happened or was it just, eh?
3: I think when I graduated in apprenticing, I was working amongst um, artisans who were maybe 10 years older than me. Yeah. Um, and they'd gone to like, London College of Fashion or the and which are really great universities, um, for handbag making. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they would all talk about wanting to start their own business one day, but it was always one day. Yeah. And my biggest fear, I was getting the anxiety that what if I'm here for 10 more years and I'm just talking about one day. Yeah. And that kind of was like, I just need to try and do it now. And if yeah. it fails, it fails but I'm young and I might as well take the risk whilst I'm young and I have not many um, financial responsibilities just yet. Yeah. And just give it a
2: go. That's cool. Yeah. I think that's some people wait for a big sign and you're right. It's that, Oh, one day and they're waiting for like something to align and be perfectly in place for them to just say, okay, now, now I feel ready. But sometimes it's not that sometimes you just the opportunity just feels right. You had access to a manufacturer and you could, and you had access to people that were doing it. So you could just kind of test it out. I wanted to ask about the manufacturing process a little bit and also the kind of financial side of launching a brand. And I think, I mean, I have no desire to ever design things, but you never know where life will take you. So I may have a perfume line one day because (laughs) I I won't, but (laughs) I can dream. But with manufacturing, I think there's so many parts that seem almost invisible to people who might like a 14 year old girl who wants to be a fashion designer. Like, what does that mean? What does manufacturing mean? Like, how does, what does that look like? So how do do you navigate that for your business and also... How did you also think about the business side of like pricing and, you know, managing a whole kind of line yeah. to sell to people? Like stuff from the beginning. Okay.
3: So I think I was a bit naive when I began. Yeah. I didn't realise everything that goes into a business. I thought it was as easy as making a product and selling it. Yeah. But it's not. And it's I, not I kind there. of realised that quite quickly. Um, So I the designs were actually from my final year at university. I made a giant bag, like a life-size bag. Well, bigger than life size, because yeah. bag bags are life size. But <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: <laughs> like, like a human-sized yeah,
3: bag? Yeah, I could fit in the bag if I wanted to. Oh wow. Yeah. Um, and it kind of that's kind of where the design came from. So I'd been working on making that a bit more commercial, mm-hmm. just for fun, really. Um, whilst I was apprenticing. Um, and then the moment I realized I wanted to make it wanted to turn it into a business. My, I swear, I really switched on and I would listen to clients who would come in and kind of work out the relationship that they were having with the manufacturers and kind of what they discussed, um, where they got their leather sourced from, um, quantities and things like that. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of picking things up. Um, and I was very fortunate that I was making for these people. So I kind of knew the process that went into it. Yeah. Um, so I was very conscious of being the, the worker, I guess. So yeah. now being um, the brand that's looking for manufacturing, I'm very conscious that about, you know, fair fair pay and fair working conditions because it, you're working with fumes. So I'm very pro um, made in Britain or made in Spain, made in Italy, where they're treated really well. Yeah. Like that's very important. Um, but before that, I never knew there was such a concern for that. Yeah, Um, I've actually forgotten the question.
2: Oh, like so? What was the process of kind of creating? So you're picking up stuff, and then now you're having to think about the business side of things.
3: So manufacturing, I was very fortunate. I kind of fell upon it because it was just there for me. But usually, it's quite difficult to find manufacturing. But I I was imagine. Yeah, Yeah. I wouldn't even know where to begin if I didn't have that source, especially in in the UK. Yeah, I think especially in bag making as well. It's a dyeing industry, or it was very big. 50 or so years ago, but it's much, it's less, um, it's not doing as well now. Yeah. So I was very lucky that I had the manufacturing side. Um, Business-wise, I had no idea what I was doing. I kind of started an Instagram page. Yeah. Um, Because I'm very creative, I'm very visual, and I find that quite easy and quite natural. Yeah. And I'd begin my following. Um, Price points and things, I would, I'd have to start working out where I was in the market and where I wanted to be and kind of work out who my competitors were how they make their bags um do they have pockets do they have zips yeah their colors how many colors they make of each style their measurements and really could see how i fit fit in with that yeah so i had to make sure i was competitive yeah on the same level yeah especially as i wanted to approach the stores that they already stocked in what Um, kind of
2: stores were you looking at
3: so i always i guess i was trying to aim high why not why not go hard or go home? Right. So i um, like Selfridges and Browns and Harvey Nichols and Net-a-Porter and Matches Fashion. Um, and um, I would also just email people. Yeah. And I've, I'm still doing that. It's actually worked wonders. Because I think people are just too scared to just try and yeah. <laughs> say hello and introduce yourself. And I definitely was at the beginning. But as soon as I started getting myself out there like people actually responded. Yeah. And like I had meetings and That's I went for really coffee good. with people. Um, so definitely tried to put myself out there. Um, and things kind of just fell into place. Nice. It wasn't as smooth as that, but slowly but surely things kind of fitted in.
2: Yeah. So with, let's go to emails real quick. because okay. I love emails in general. Yeah. Um, what kind of things were you saying? Like in the initial period, so you've at this point, I'm guessing you've got the bag or yes. you've got like samples or things ready to kind of show and yeah. tell people like, this is what I've got, this is what I'm creating. And this is kind of where I'm seeing the brand go. What do you write in that initial email? Are you writing to sell or are you writing to just say, hey, how are you? Let's get coffee. <laughs> like how, what is your first contact and what is your objective with that first email?
3: So I got really good advice that, um, people that people love to give advice that was a piece of advice i got um this is gonna be
2: really handy when i ask <laughs> yeah. that question at the end
3: yeah. <laughs> uh, and people like to be appreciated and people actually appreciate being reached out to yeah they're flattered um so i would i'd use always try and use my age actually because i feel like that would get people like a bit interested and be like oh okay um but as i get older it's, it's like less effective oh <laughs> so to, yeah <laughs> um so i kind of just introduced myself and say what I'm trying to do. And I always include an image because I feel like an image people, when there's lots of words, they'd rather just, you know, focus on an image. Yeah. And because I have a product, that's something I can do quite easily. And I would always ask for just 20 minutes of their time for a coffee. Yeah. i um, to introduce myself and introduce my product in person. Um, and I'd always include something personal about them and as to why I'm, why I want to speak to them or why I'm inspired by them. um, and more often than none, they reply, and they they're, sometimes it's a no like, yeah. I'm not "Thank you, but it's not for us," or other times it's "I'd love to meet. I'm not sure I can help you, how I can help you, but let's go for a coffee."
2: Yeah um, so yeah, that's really good. Uh, some of them, the best places I've gotten to. Uh, in my career anyway, has always been because I emailed someone that I just liked. Yeah. And they just gave me some really quick advice. Sometimes it was just back and forth in an email. They said, just check this out or check out this person. And that led me to where I needed to be in that time. And so I think there's a lot of pressure on people when they write emails that their first port of call is to sell you something. The first email is very rarely going to be the email that sells and makes you big money. Completely. So much conversation and relationship building is essential but I think you are on the right track when you're saying you're like you're just trying to grab coffee have a conversation and when people are being really honest and saying I don't know how I can help you but you never know when that person might be really key to the next stage when you're kind of trying to get somewhere else and they're like oh actually i know that person yeah and it's just an introduction that you need so you never know and i think that's really cool that you use emails as as that all right uh so the final sets of questions are what's the worst advice you've ever received and what's the best advice you've ever received
3: oh the worst advice i've ever received it's really hard that's really hard um worst advice i think i don't know it's worst advice Maybe I think it's like waiting until you're completely ready, and I know. And then maybe like people don't think that's good advice, but by waiting and waiting, maybe you'll never find that moment. Yeah, and maybe you just need to give it a go, and you maybe like not completely as you think, perfectly ready.
2: Yeah,
3: but it might just be your big break.
2: Oh, nice. That's the yeah. End. Wait until you're ready. Is yeah, technically bad advice because you'll never. You'll be never be ready. ready yeah <laughs> it's true you'll never be ready you might as well just do it um and just get started because essentially i think when people are trying to be ready you're hoping that when you start it's going to be an immediate success and that's
3: and it's not it's always a journey and it's almost always never happens yeah it's always a work in progress
2: yeah so, so yeah what's the best advice The best
3: advice i think comes from my dad and he always tells me don't put off um till tomorrow what you can get done today that's smart yeah because i do that a lot I'm i always do that always like a lot. i'll do it tomorrow i'll do it tomorrow i never get it done um that's but really if you just smart. do it
2: it gets like, done it gets you done you do it it's tomorrow. crazy yeah <laughs> what a revelation i know uh now i'm gonna have to like do stuff today that i really wanted to do tomorrow <laughs> but i'm gonna do it now that you've given me that very good solid sound <laughs> advice thanks close dad <laughs> all right thank you so much chloe this has been such a treat yeah and it's been so lovely a huge thank you to chloe who has been a phenomenal guest follow chloe's brand on instagram at Marlow underscore london that's m-a-r-l-o-w underscore l-o-n-d-o-n and visit marlowe london.com to find out more about her gorgeous bags if you like how this podcast is made and you think that you can do what I do, then you need to reach out to the Shout Out Network. To find out more about membership, visit shoutoutnetwork.co.uk. And also, we just launched Not Another Book podcast. So for any book fans out here listening, that podcast is for you. Go and check it out right now. If you're enjoying this podcast, please do leave a rating and a review on iTunes. It is the only payment that I ask for. And it's so lovely to read every beautiful thing that you have to say about this podcast. To get extended show notes listing the tools and resources that we've talked about in this episode and past episodes, visit wannabepodcast.com as show notes are updated every Wednesday. So today, thank you for listening and bye.
1: Upwork has the world's largest network of independent professionals. So if you need a go-to designer, a video editor, or a social media specialist for 6 days or 6 months, Upwork is how. And it's basically like they're right here in your office, except they're not here here, so they can't hear Greg's remarkably loud typing. Hey buddy. I take it back. You can hear that from anywhere. And Upwork professionals are proven, rated, and reviewed. When you need in-demand talent on demand, Upwork is how.